welcome to Scotland's Coefficient Podcast, the podcast about Scottish football teams in European competition. Welcome to the new season of Scotland's Coefficient Podcast. This is episode 5, which is titled In Conversation with David Parks. My name is Gavin, and I run the Scotland's Coefficient Twitter page, at Scotland's CoF1, currently with 22,000 followers. This week's episode is a conversation with the football journalist David Parks. David is a Jamaican-born Canadian football journalist that covers international football and domestic football from all around the world. He is an expert in European football and has written articles for One Football, Footy Headlines, Get Football, among other online football sources. His Twitter bio is in the description for this podcast and he is well worth a follow. We chat about the new Rangers manager, Philippe Clement, Scotland's chances in the top 10 coefficient race this season, and we have a bleak look at how next season's coefficient rankings currently stand. I also get David's thoughts on the new 36-team European League format that UEFA are introducing next season. It's quite a long podcast, as David is very passionate and very knowledgeable. He probably could have talked for hours, so I'll need to get him back on the podcast at a later date to hear some more from him. I've put into the description approximate timings for each discussion point to make it easier for you if you do want to listen to it in smaller chunks. I'm going to try and do more frequent conversational podcasts with a broad range of people and I can reveal that next week's podcast will be a discussion of Celtic's European campaign so far with Alan Morrison from the Celtic by Numbers Twitter account. As ever, if you are enjoying the podcast, then please leave it a positive five-star review as this helps grow the podcast and reach more listeners. Thanks for listening. So, hi David, thanks very much for joining us. Um, Very much appreciate you taking the time to come and speak to us on the podcast. Um, Do you want to start off just by telling me and telling the listeners who you are essentially and what your your role is in the world of football? Well, thank you very much, Gavin, for having me on. Um, I've been uh, following Scotland's um, coefficient uh, Twitter page for quite a while now, before you were the um, the owner of the the page. Um, As for myself, uh, my name is David Parks. Um, I'm Jamaican-born, but I've I've lived in Canada basically my whole life. I am a football journalist. Uh, I specialize in UEFA's coefficient system, at least the club coefficients, side of things and country coefficients. Um, I... Write article. I've written articles for multiple sites, including One Football, um, Footy Headlines, some, some more renowned sites, but even smaller sites like um, Get Football News, um, Fan Sided, and I've covered world football. Really, I've covered international football. I've done domestic football across Europe. I've done. I cover the Canadian side of things, seeing that I live in Canada. So, um, yeah, that's basically what I do. Um, my aim, of course, is to work full time in football, whereas is as a journalist or working at a you know at a, a league office or a country's office or like a federation office so that's basically what i do that's what i am i strive for yeah great it's um it's quite funny i try to reply to everybody that comments on the page and normally if they don't have a profile picture i'm like oh here we go here's another one what are they going to be saying and you don't have a profile picture on twitter but left a really nice comment so i was like wow i need to read this guy's page and then i was just astounded by like the level of detail and knowledge you have of 
literally it seems every single club and every single league around the world so yeah you're based in canada you said is that right that's correct and i appreciate the kind words yeah i'm based in canada i live not too far away from toronto so um yeah i'm in the the but the major parts of the country so to speak mm-hmm. and so do you i take it you must watch a lot of football both live and then analyzing games afterwards as well i suppose yeah, I do a lot of that. I watch sometimes too much football. It's to the point now where I don't even watch football for my own entertainment. Even when I'm watching my teams, I'm still analyzing. You never know a moment like this where, you know, I come on and I get a chance to talk about a club's coach or a player that someone may not know as much about. So it's it's always that type of mindset. Yeah, perfect. So, yeah, who who are your clubs? I see on your Twitter bio you have, like, a couple of clubs you follow. How did you get into that? Yeah, so um, locally, my team is Forge FC. Um, we're playing in the Canadian Premier League final. Probably by the time this recording has gone out, it still will be about a week and a half away from the final, but we won the semifinals on Saturday, so we'll be hosting the final. Um, outside of those two, I grew up with a love for Italian football. That's how I really got into the game initially. So, um, yeah, I've uh, I, I, since the World Cup in 2006, that's, what I, I, that's my first true memory of football. And I grew up since then following the Serie A, you know, I'm a big Fiorentina supporter. And then when I was in my adolescence, I started to follow Belgian football because by then, you know, that wasn't the, gold, the golden generation started to come out. You know, Romelu Lukaku, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, so many wonderful players that come out of the, the Pro League. So that caught my eye. And Anderlecht being a team that um, plays some very attractive football, especially when I started watching it, that, that caught my eye. I love the purple and white. So it was very <laughs> natural to support Parsuits or Le Mauvais Blanc, purple and white, as they say in Dutch or French. Yeah, well, I think I'm a bit older than you, but Italian football um, will resonate with a lot of Scottish listeners because we had a program called, uh, it was it Football Italia, I think it was in the 90s, it was on Channel 4, and that was like when Italian football was the best league undisputed, and it was just a, a brilliant show, so for a lot of Scottish football fans um, growing up, that was a, a great show to watch and probably have a lot of time for Italian football as well. I suppose you mentioned... Um, following Belgian football um, in your adolescence by the time of the golden generation, which is perfect for me because I obviously wanted to discuss the new Rangers manager. So I wanted to get somewhere between he's just another bald version of Pep Guardiola to he's an absolute fraud, he's going to be terrible. And if I invited probably half of Scottish football fans on, I might get that side and the other half would be like, nah, he's not going to do anything. So you're sort of the perfect neutral person to come onto the pod and just talk to me about what you know about the man and the manager. So overall, um, what do you think of this appointment for Rangers, Philippe Clement? I must warn you and say I'm semi-neutral in the sense that he used to coach um, Club Brugge, one of Underlag's biggest rivals. But jokes aside, ah. but uh, I think this is a great appointment for Philippe Clement. Um, I was reading earlier that he said that he had multiple other offers. Uh, you know, Saudi Arabia was one of the major ones that was spoken about, but even more lucrative offers. But he said Rangers, um, part because of the club and its you know, st- stature. Um, I think this is a great appointment for him. In particular, I think for the club, it it depends on, again, how you want to see it. It might be seen as a risk, but he has pedigree. He's shown he has pedigree at respectable European clubs, including one from one of the top five leagues and Alas Monaco is last club. So I think this is a, a pretty decent setting for Rangers. Um, of course, you'll, you'll ask some more questions about him, but um, I know he plays a very good attacking football. That's how, what he what he goes for. That's what he strives for. Um, that's what he strived for in Belgium, and, and as he did as well in, in France or in Monaco. So, um, yeah, I think this is a very good appointment. I look forward to seeing what he produces with this Rangers team. It's uh, still a really stacked Rangers team. A lot of quality 
players. Some who played in Belgium, like Kamar Roof. Um, but um, yeah, I, I like his appointment. I really do. Yeah, well, I suppose for Rangers fans, then it's good to hear that he plays attacking football because I think the, some of the issues Michael Beale had this season is well, one, he was losing quite a lot of games, but also when they won, it was quite turgid to watch. It wasn't very attacking. It felt like they were. Um, they were quite defensive in their approach. Um, they spent the majority of their budget in the summer, about £13 million on three strikers, uh, Lammers, Dessers and Danilo, of which I'm sure Clement, uh, Clement will know a good bit about all three of them, I'd imagine, especially Dessers with his time in Belgium. And also Kamar Roof, I probably would have been there about the same time. He was, he there, was yeah, at Anderlecht, yeah. yeah. So he would have seen him firsthand when he was fit, I suppose. I think he probably had injury problems in Belgium as well. Um, so yeah, he did He did well in Belgium, didn't he? He won three titles in a row with two different clubs. Correct. Um, he started off at Vossel and Bevere, which is a small club. They're now known as SK Bevere under the second tier, but um, at the time they were Vossel and Bevere. Um, they were still, when he was there, he was, they were one of the clubs expected to go down. Um, if I remember correctly, he was there um, when just before um, COVID. So yeah, so about a couple of years before COVID. So it was still 16 teams back then. So very crazy system in Belgian football with their, the league format whatnot. I've written about that as well. Um, but um, yeah, he had about six months at Vossel and Bevere and he really, really impressed. Um, he only 22 games games there but he got brought some attacking football he kept them comfortably you know above the relegation zone and whatnot so that caught Genk's eye and then at that point Genk had gotten rid of a coach by the name of Albert Steifenberg who our still fans will know is he's their assistant coach um, who right. also plays some really attacking football and um, he took over at Genk um, they had reached the quarterfinals actually I think that was sorry this is a season after they reached the quarterfinals of the Europa League um yeah, I think so. And then um, yeah. that was when he brought in. He was brought in. Um, that first um, it was the second half of the season, so you know there was only so much she could do. Um, but in the end, you know they finished. Um, I think like fifth. They lost in the playoffs uh, for the last European spots. I think that was to Kave Estende. And then um, the following season was this, was um, only full season at Genk, where it was funny because it started off. You thought it was going to be really terrible because I remember reading about the you know, fight in a training session between um, the Vast and, and, and Dombele, um, wow. sorry, Nongola, and that was what happened to start the season. This was before a ball was even kicked. And um, Genk went to qualifying in the Europa League. They started off the season really well. And as the season came on, you saw you saw what Clement wanted to do to the team. It was really, really breathtaking football from Genk. They dominated pretty much every single match they played. Um, they won their Europa League group. Um, I remember that group as well. Um, they won a group. Um, but again, by the time February came along, it was, you know, midway through the season, they're still leading the league. Um, there was an incident in which um, the captain, uh, Alejandro Pozuelo, he wanted to go to Toronto FC. And that caused some destabilization in the club that he, to the fact that it almost really nearly derailed their title um, hopes because while they were leading the league, they, they played great football, but, you know, Pothuela was crucial to them, to the club, um, and to how they play. So, um, in the end, Pothuela did leave for TFC, um, but it's it definitely took a toll on the club. Um, you could, by then, you know, this, the results started to, this a little bit, dwindled little by little, but they still had enough, because again, because of the um, playoff system in Belgium, they still managed to hold on after 40 games and they won a title. They actually won a title and play against Anderlecht, um, the penultimate match they, um, they drew, and then Club Brugge lost, I think it was the standard of Liege, and that was what um, won them the title. So that was what, um, that was how he started off getting real attention. And then in the summer, he moved to Club Brugge and that was really, um, that's yeah. really where the story started to really roll 
it, do, it does seem that he goes into a club, does well, and then a bigger club seems seems to take him. So there's two sides to that, I suppose. If he does do well at Rangers, then the Rangers fans will be happy, but then they would be sad to lose him because I imagine if he does a really good job at Rangers, turns around what is a, a massive deficit they have to Celtic, um, then I wouldn't I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if a top five league would come back in for a manager like that. So looking at his career history, it looks like he's always pushing himself for what is the next level, what's the next job. So I suppose Rangers fans would rather that than he fails and he gets sacked like the last two managers have done. Um, but yeah, it looks like he he's constantly sort of wanting to improve himself and go to a bigger club at every time. Mm. And then that's true, you know, because um, while Genk is one of the top clubs in Belgium, they aren't, you know, historically big. They um, it's really the financials that's got them to this point. Of course, the fact that they have they have a, a factory of fantastic players in, in the youth academy. They were only um, created in 1988. Actually, uh, um, the, uh, Thor Vatashai and Mitterslag were the two clubs that for, uh, fused together to form Genk. So big club, but Club Brugge, of course, is if you talk to someone about Belgian football and you tell them to name a club there, Club Brugge is one of the first clubs they will name, right? Naturally, yeah, of course. History, of course, they've reached the, the finals of the Euro- European Cup. The UEFA Cup, right? So they're a big, they're the bigger club. And when he went to Club Brugge, it was evident that he that he was like almost destined to succeed. And it showed at the club because you know two years in a row they won a title, and one of the years they completely blew away everyone else. It was just, it was just this night and day. So um, I think Rangers fans can be really happy with appointments. Um, if they, if he um can get the best out of his players and get the best out of the system that he uses like he did at Genkin Club Brugge, then he will succeed. At Monaco, you know, different standards, different league. It's a little bit more difficult in that, you know, PSG dominates the league. Yeah, they've won the league, what, nine times out of the last 11 years. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a lot more difficult to say, okay, go challenge for a title, right? So it's not the same thing. And while Rangers, obviously, is a huge club in Scotland, they're going to be expecting to challenge not just for the Scottish Premiership, but for the League Cup, the Scottish Cup, and even for the Europa League, right? Those things will weigh in it's going to be something different as well playing four different competitions versus just three as he did in belgium and when he was in france as he did in france yeah and um i think that's all fair so i think when you talk about um you've said some quite positive stuff about both at genk and bruges he played scintillating football or he, he blew the opposition away which is would be great for rangers fans to hear playing devil's advocate um the Belgian league is higher rated than the Scottish league. Um, however, at the moment, I think Club Brugge's manager is Ronnie Dyla. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Um, so former he, Celtic coach. Yeah, yeah. So he was a Celtic manager. He he was successful in that he won the league, but it was very much a one horse race at that point. And he, he eventually, I think he officially stepped down, but it was pretty much, he was told to step aside after Rangers were the division below. They still hadn't got back to the Premier League and they beat them in the Scottish Cup semi-final. I think they beat them on penalties, but they I think they just played better overall and it wasn't looking good. So Ronnie Dyla was someone that probably didn't have as much success in Scotland as he should have. He's now doing doing the same job in, in Belgium. Um Clement's then gone to Monaco, and ultimately it is a difficult job there up against PSG, but he has got sacked in the summer. So is there a worry as well that he isn't going to be sort of the level required to to turn around what is a really um, a low point um, for Rangers at the moment? What I've, I've found over the time of you know following Clement's teams, whether it's Genk, Club Brugge, Vassal Bever, or as Monaco, is that they start off really well. 
especially when he's there for a whole season. He, they start off really well. They can you know go on a 20-game run in which they win like 18 of those matches. But then, you know, as the season starts to, like the midway point of the season, it, you see a like a, a start to see a low point. You see this change of result. They go through a run of four to five games where, you know, they get maybe only three points, four points. And that's sometimes what could cost him. And I think mm. that, that's what really ultimately costs him at Monaco because obviously a club like Monaco, they expect to be playing in Europe. Um, mm. But um, of course, they were challenging for the Champions League last season at one point in Liga. They had like the second most goals, something along those lines. But by the time they got to like 20 games, the last 10 games of the season, they won like once or twice. And then that cost him not just Champions League, but European football altogether, right? So I saw it with Gats, and his job. Thought, it cost yeah. him his job, didn't it? Exactly, it cost him his job at um at Monaco, and it was while he left Club Brugge mid-season, and I think it was a 2019 or 2020 season, um, 2022 season. Sorry, um, but if he didn't leave the job, Club Brugge to join Monaco, he would have been sacked at some point because you could see that the club was getting stale under mm. his leadership. They were still, you know in the top of the league and whatnot, but it wasn't the same as, you know, years prior. Obviously, Belgium's a much more competitive league than Scotland. Yeah. More clubs competing for a title, more clubs with higher expectations, right? So likewise, Liga. So um, it's it's more difficult, but at the same time, he won a league title three years in a row with two different clubs, as you mentioned, right? Yeah. And he actually dominated, completely dominated. So that's um, something to remember. So it's it's a risk, as always, as with any manager, but he has the tools to succeed as Club Brugge coach. Would, uh, I'm sorry, as Rangers coach. As, as Rangers coach, yeah. So it sounds like he he starts off well, then sort of hits the low point. And I, when I was doing my own research, I saw that he was 16 points ahead um, when the Belgian league went to the split the last yeah. time he won the title. And they ended up finishing on the same points as the team that finished second. They only won the league thanks to their initial finishing. So they must have had a really poor sort of playoff campaign. And then when he left, he left them in second place. I know they went on to win the league that year as well, but I think that sort of ties in with what you're saying. It starts off great, great run of football, builds up a 16-point lead. I know the points then get halved as they go into the playoff, but still to go to go into the, the sort of championship playoff with a, a big lead and to not win many games does sort of point towards the team tailing off. Do you think... Do the players, is he quite demanding? Do the players get sort of bored of his um, his demands and the, his, his preparation and the way he takes training? Or is, is it something else you would you would think? I think it's the season length. That's what mm. it really is. Because, you know, in Belgium, there are 40 games. Or at least for right. top 12 teams in the current format, it's 40 games, 30 plus 10. It's a, that's a, it's a very demanding schedule. That's even more than the Premier League with 38, right? And more in Scotland's yeah. as well. It's a very demanding yeah. schedule. So, um, and of course, teams he's playing, he was coaching at Club Brugge and he had Genk and at Monaco are playing European football. So you add on to that, you add on the cup where they usually go very far. So it's a lot of football. I find that also um, plays its role. And mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how he handles that Rangers with that, like I mentioned, extra cup for um, cups. There's only two games left in the Scottish League to reach the final, but still, you know, that's still an extra competition. So I'm um, going to be excited to win that. So that's something to keep in mind. As to whether the players um, gets, you know, get tired of him, yes and no. I think um, he. He's one of those coaches who can have like negative relationships with certain players. I was reading, and I remember with um, um, Diania, I think his name is, um, Enfant Terrible, as they call him in, in um, Belgian football, which is 
like terrible child's rough translation. Um, he took a penalty in the Champions League when we were playing PSG a few years ago because when he was coming on that Club Brugge, um, Hans van Aken was the designated penalty taker, but Daniel took the ball from him, um, failed to cover the penalty. And then um, after the match, um, Clement absolutely unloaded onto Daniel. Yeah, bet, he yeah. absolutely lifted. And Daniel never played for Club Brugge again after that. You know, and, and you, you know, to a fan, you might be like, Okay, he missed the penalty, but at the same time, the well, the importance of it. You know, the game was. I think I remember the game. It was still like one 0 in the match, so Club Brugge was still in the game, right? And mm. to miss a penalty at that point, especially in that circumstance, those circumstances were so were so crucial, right? So yeah, playing the draw, not just uh, getting the points to try and sink, get you know avoid last place, but to um get that money for getting the draw. Those stuff it cost the club so much, right? So that was a crucial um. Uh, yeah, and I think that that shows strong leadership. If he's not the penalty taker and he comes and takes the ball off a penalty taker, then one, you shouldn't be doing that. But if you do, you absolutely have to score the penalty. So if he then misses it and then never plays for the club again, some people might say that's a bit harsh. But if the manager sets the rules out and the rule is this man takes the penalties and someone else just steals it essentially then I think that's quite strong leadership to say right I'm, I can't trust you anymore you're not part of my plan so that that probably is a good thing to see that that's how he deals with um, players stepping out of line because if, if you don't deal with it harshly that or hardly then there'll be more instances of, of players stepping out of line Absolutely. Um, it's it's I'll also point out as well that you know he's had to deal with difficult players. Like um mm-hmm. a player that people know fairly well is Noah Lang, who's a PSV. Um Clement had, Brilliant winger, really good. Yes, really good player. Um Clement had Lang under his, his wing when he was at Club Brugge. And he had to take care of it. He had to, he had to manage um Lang Lang is a player who sometimes has disciplinary problems as a as a bunch of football fans will come to learn. So you know, he can't handle he can handle those type of players. It's just not always so easy, right? You know, in the case with Diania, when he was a penalty like that, it's very easy to you know, unload it. And he did. And that was the end of Diania. But he's shown come on, should he can take care of players who were more complicated in the dressing room. Yeah, that's good to hear. So Noah Lang's obviously a great player. He must have developed him. And that kind of leads me on to my next question. So doing a little bit of research, um, Transfer Market, the website that shows you sort of historical prices paid for players. I know it's not wholly accurate, but it looked like he did spend a lot of money in a couple of seasons at Club Bruges. Having said that, I think he still brought in more than he actually paid out. So his net spend wouldn't have been much, if anything. At Rangers, they, to be honest, they don't really have many sellable assets at the moment. They're they're in a really low place. It would take him being able to develop some of the players they've got, like Raskin, you'll know, from, from Belgium. From that, there's yeah. A, there, yeah, there's some players in there that are still young that probably can go on to, to bigger leagues in Scotland and command big fees. But at the moment, nobody's going to be buying any of these players. So for him to to spend, he'll never spend near the money he spent at Club Bruges, but to spend any sort of money, he's going to need to to develop these players into being marketable, sellable assets again. Do you think that's something he's good at? So we, we expect him, as you've said, to come in and make an instant impact and go on a good run. But long term, is he good at developing players and then selling them on for, for high fees? Well, several interesting yes. When you're coaching a league like Belgian football, when you're coaching at a club like Genk, when they have a factory of fantastic players, young players, even at Club Brugge, they've had their fair share as well, right? When you come from a league like that and you get used to it, then, you know, you come to a club like Rangers, where Scotland, it may not be the same, it may not be, you know, expecting to constantly, you know, sell 
top quality players, young under 21s or 23 players, but he can definitely get the best out of a lot of the players to, you know, to increase their market value and get in some breaking get in some money for the club. You know, obviously he's gonna want to get rid of some players. There'll be something he won't use for whatever reason, not to fit a system, you know, again the behavioral issues. But I think he does have the ability to get the best out of certain players, the younger players, and get them back to um get them to their, to their potential, right? I think Giannis Hadji is a good example. I know he's on loan. I think he's on loan at He's Alabama. on loan, yeah, yeah. Some like him, you know, he's had so many injury woes. Unfortunately, he was also in Belgium with Genk, um, but mm-hmm. he had a lot of injury issues. I'm sure someone like Hadji, if he used to go back at Rangers, whether it's in January or and start next season, um, Clermont can definitely get the best out of him and and see him get back to the potential that we saw in Belgium with yeah. him. So. Well, that, that'll be good for Rangers fans to hear because obviously they do have a massive financial disadvantage. Uh, well, Celtic have an advantage over them, rather. And especially if Celtic were to win this league again, they're seven points ahead, they would go straight into the new Champions League. And from that, we're talking probably another 30, 40 million that they'll get and Rangers won't. So the exactly. Rangers really are relying on on Clement being able to to turn the team around with what he's got. And then if he is to spend in future, it's likely he's going to need to fund a lot of it from player sales. So it's good to hear if he does have a sort of track record of doing that. Um, So lastly on Clement, what sort of expectations would you have for him and for Rangers, both domestically and in Europe? So they got a fairly favourable Europa League group, but obviously they just lost in Aris, um, in in Cyprus rather. So all all four teams in that group are on three points. Um, do you expect him to be able to come in and, and turn that round straight away and get them through the group? Um, I know next day face Sparta Praha for the next two games, and that will not be an easy match. Um, I think Czechia is having a very good year, and we'll get to that later. But um, I think I expect him to at least avoid finishing last. You know, Eris being <laughs> the, the, the pop four club in the group, I still think Richard should be able to at least avoid last place. Whether or not they'll be able to finish in the top two, win the group, that's another matter. You're having clubs like Real Betis, who are Europe League regulars now. Yes, but Praha is a renowned club in Europe. It's not going to be as straightforward as that. Now, keep in mind, obviously, Clement has the European pedigree. He has experience. So it, you can keep that in mind. Obviously, Rangers, in their last year, Europe League campaign, they were in the final. So um, it, he can't count them out. You just cannot. Um, but I think we'll see come match day, then the match day four, where they are. In the group yeah, after the, the double header. Yeah. yeah, that will determine everything you need to know. And obviously, they'll need to be heirs at home. You expect them to. But with their really dismal away record, I think they have like 10, like they have once away game since they beat PSV last season in the playoff rounds. So um, yeah. it's, it doesn't look promising. So they have to improve their away record if they're going to A, win this group and B, even have a good chance of getting out of the group, right? So. Yeah, I think you sum it up there. If the next two games are against Sparta Prague. They're going to need to at least take four points and then if they beat uh, the Cypriots at home as they really should then yeah that should be enough to see them through that would be 10 points I think and they would still have um, Betis away hopefully they won't need anything out of that and then domestically um, Celtic are are seven points ahead Do, do you think Rangers have any sort of chance of turning that round under Clement? It's a good question if I'm not mistaken they still have Presumably three more games in the league against them. That's uh, correct, they yeah. Them, yeah, they played it once. So that's nine points right there that they have a chance to, to you know, make up. Mm-hmm. But obviously you can't just look at the matches against Celtic. I know they lost at home to Aberdeen um, before the international break. That's another huge loss. And of course, a team like Aberdeen will be expecting to compete for that. Probably the Europe League spot, um, mm-hmm. in, in, a Europe, a Europe League spot um, in Scotland. So you know there will be matches where your know, club or, uh, Rangers will have to 
focus a bit more, not just against Celtic, not just the old firm derbies, but also against Aberdeen, against the Hibs, Hearts, those clubs who, you know, could be trying to push for the European spots. And of course, closer to the end of the regular season, when clubs are trying to get into the championship playoffs, when they're trying to avoid relegation, those matches will become more important as well and won't be as straightforward. So I think those will be up to, to we have to remember as well for Rangers. Overall, I I still think Celtics going to win the league. It's a tough ask to you yeah. know, come from seven points so early. And even if you have like you know two thirds of the season to go, it's still a very it's an uphill battle, right? Against a club with as you mentioned with a higher yeah, level. It, it's but, a big lead so early on. Um, I can't remember if it's six or seven games into the season to already be seven points ahead. It's a big league and a big lead rather. And yeah, you're right. There are still three more games between the top two. But two of them will be at Parkhead. Rangers, you could count on, I don't know, maybe two fingers how many wins they've had there in the last 10 years. I think when you get to the point of um, counting the old firm games, so we're seven points behind, behind, but there's nine points available in those games, That to me that's alarm bells. That I, if you're relying on that, relying on beating your rivals either side, because it was the same when Rangers were ahead uh, when they won the league undefeated a few years ago. I remember reading Celtic fans saying, well, we've still got to play them three times. Um, we, we can get the nine points. If you're starting to count on that, I think it, it's going to be tough. So, yeah, unfortunately for Rangers fans, I probably agree with you there. I don't think he'll be able to turn it around this season. But if he can sort of build build um, on what he has there, the players-wise, then maybe next season they, they could put on more of a challenge. Obviously for the page, I'm, I'm really hopeful that he turns it around instantly in Europe and they're able to get through through the group as a minimum I think like you say avoiding fourth is an absolute must third dropping into the conference league it, it would be a blow but then they could potentially go further in that than they could in the Europa League so so we'll see how it goes um, thanks for all that before we move on to Scotland's coefficient and the top 10 race is there any other candidate out there that you think Rangers or any either of the big Scottish clubs, Rangers or Celtic, could have attracted that's in the market at the moment? Do you think Clement is like the sort of top level of manager that would be willing to come to Scotland? I'd certainly say he's one of the top uh, managers. I can't really think off the top of my head too many coaches that could have been um, there. I remember another one in Belgium who um, coached at Gensen at Genk, Yes uh, Thorup, the Danish coach. That's a coach I would rate very highly, again, some very attacking football brought the best out against when he was there so um i think that would have been another really good choice to Wait, sorry to interrupt where is he at the moment yeah. do you know i don't think he's at a club his last club i remember right. was at was fc copenhagen um but if okay. i'm not mistaken he's still without a club so um, right. that would have been another good choice to um i think um okay to go for but again off the top of my head i can't really think of many other coaches that would be um uh, would be of the uh, choice unless you're thinking of a coach who who coached in the English system or, you know, coach who coached in the Scottish system, they won the lower clubs, but impressed, mm. something like that. So, yeah, that's what I, off the top of my head I can think of. Okay, so it looks like, a, on paper, it looks like a pretty decent appointment given what was available in the market at the moment then. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, when you get a coach of Clement's experience, you know, you're, it's still quality, right? If you compare the clubs he's coached at to Rangers, they're comparable clubs, right? So mm-hmm. I think those, that's the good thing for Rangers fans is not someone who's, you know, coached at, you know, second tier in Scotland and, you know, he did really well there and then, you know, goes to the top tier and he did pretty pretty well there and it's that risk. And he has the European pedigree. He has a title-winning pedigree. So those are things to keep in mind and to, I, I guess, uh, calm those Rangers fans' nerves. I would say. Yeah. 
And yeah, like you say, it's comparable clubs, but almost as important. It's probably comparable leagues. So Belgian or the Belgian, the Belgian league is the eighth ranked league, where we are the tenth at the moment. And um, mm. to be a title winner in a similar sort of standard of league, I know there's more teams that can actually win the title in Belgium than can win it in Scotland. Um, is probably a comparable level of league. So yeah, I'd agree with you there. I think it is a, a fairly decent uh, appointment. So, right. Thanks for that, David. That's all a good insight from your knowledge of Clement and his history in Belgium and France. Um, before you go, though, you're an expert on the coefficient, so I couldn't have you on the podcast without discussing your views on how it's going at the moment. So, specifically, the sort of top 10 race. So, where Scotland, we're now 10th at the moment. We have Turkey ahead of us in ninth. Um, behind us, Austria and Switzerland are 11th and 12th. They're probably the biggest challenges to overtaking us in the top 10 this season. But unfortunately for us, us our best season is going to drop off at the end of this season. So next season, as it stands, we'll start 16th with the teams mentioned already, Czech Republic, Israel, um, Norway, Denmark, all going to start ahead of us. So can I just get your thoughts on, firstly, this season, what do you think the chances are of Scotland holding on to the top 10 spot and holding off sort of Austria, Switzerland, even Czech Republic, I suppose? And then next season, um, how how do you think Scotland are going to fare against all of Europe, all of the middle leagues in Europe, it seems like? Yeah, um, I did a preview um, at the start of the season. I'm not sure if you had seen it or defense have seen it, but I did a full coefficient analysis preview for all the countries and all the battles this year that we'll see in the coefficient ranking. And I know the one involving the top nine and top 12 places around where Scotland is, that was a very popular one. Um, what I can say is that I think we're seeing what I expected from Scotland overall. It's not been a great, great year. It's, they have 2.6 nah. points uh, so far, you know, after two match days in the in European club competitions, group stages, and qualifying rounds. So um, it's it's going as expected. What I would say, and I remember saying this at the start of the season as well, um, I don't expect them to have a fantastic year. I don't think it will be terrible as bad as last year, but it won't be that that much better. I'm thinking maybe at most five points for them, at least as how things look right now. Mm-hmm. Um but I still think they're going to hold on to the 10th spot because right now between Austria and Switzerland, I don't see getting enough points to catch them. I know Switzerland's still only put up one and a half points back. And even um, Swiss, uh, sorry, Austria's one and a half points back. Switzerland's, you know, within two points of them as well. But I just don't see Switzerland already lost FC Basel, the first hurdle in the conference league, that huge upset against Tobol Costa tonight. So that's already a huge loss. Austria, of course, lost to two clubs from Wien. So while all three countries have... Um, three teams in the group stages. I just don't see enough from you know, any of those teams that, off the top of my head that can see um, that can justify Scottish fans worrying about tenth spot. Now, I could be wrong. I could still see one or yeah. both Australian Switzerland passing them, but as of right now, I still think Scotland will do just enough. Especially if Rangers can get out their Europe League group. If they do that, they should be fine. Um, for Scott, for Switzerland, they really need young boys to finish third in the Champions League. Realistically, that's the best they will get in that group with Man City and Leipzig and Sevilla. So uh, that's the key. If they can get that, you know, Lugano's still won the conference, but I don't expect them to get out of the group. Obviously, um, in Europe League with Savets, likely they will do higher than third. So again, it's the same idea. And for Australia, really whatever Red Bull Salzburg can do, right? Last Linz, I, I think they're going to finish last in the group. I think so. And then um, you have Stamgas as well. Regulars in the Europe League, but I can see they'll probably finish third. 
because they have Ratcliffe in their group as a pop four team. So third in the pen, how to do in the conference league knockout playoffs. So overall, I think whatever Rangers just does this season will be enough for Scotland to to finish tenth. I think they're not going to catch Turkey. Turkey's on a yeah. parallel with the top. Their top three. Yeah, they're uncatchable at the moment, aren't they? Especially as they they were so low previously. So they've only have four teams in Europe. So all of their wins are worth worth more points, and they're winning every game. So they've had like thirty teams, uh, thirty games across all the Turkish teams, and they've won like I don't know 26 or something 23 so, yeah so, three. It, yeah, so it's, it's a crazy record um, so yeah they're uncatchable and I, I think I agree with you I obviously I'm worried but I don't think we will be caught in 10th I think the only risk is Salzburg if they can finish the top two in their group and obviously you get a whole um, bonus point if you finish in the top two and then to get there to get in the top two they would obviously have to win another three or four games between now and the end of the group so if they manage that and Celtic Rangers and Aberdeen all went out then it would be like oh right we are maybe going to lose it but hopefully not I think I think you're right hopefully at least Rangers um can continue in the Europa League after Christmas and there's still an outside chance Celtic could as well if they were to 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 I don't know get a home win against Atletico. It looks really unlikely. Feyenoord in the last game. There there's hope, but I think that their troublesome start in the first two games, playing well but picking up no points has just left them an uphill battle. And yeah, yeah Aberdeen absolutely. Aberdeen had to win that last game. The HJK Helsinki was the apart from themselves, was the weakest team in the group. And to get out of that group, they had to win that. Unfortunately, they could only draw. I mean, if they beat uh, the Greeks, Payok, in the next game, then maybe maybe there's a chance of, of sneaking somewhere. But again, for them, it's looking unlikely. So the way I see it is a, is a shootout between Rangers and Salzburg. So Rangers need Pretty to at least, at least match how far Salzburg go. And again, you can't um, count out Stamkras, you know, in that group. Yes. Like, they could finish third. They probably will over Rafa, but I think Rakov's an experience might cost them. I mean, even mm-hmm. last, oh, obviously in that group at Liverpool, you know, you think Liverpool's going to win the group. We already know that, but who's going to finish second? Who's going to finish third? You, They have a half chance against Union Sajiwas and Toulouse. Um, mm-hmm. I still think they'll finish fourth, but again, Salzburg and Stamkras are teams to watch if you're a Scottish football fan hoping to see them finish at least 10th this season. Yeah. Good thing with it was 11th, you know, you still get two uh, Europe League spots. It's just no automatic Champions League spot anymore. And unless, you know, Rangers wins the league and they're the best um, club in the, the, yeah. uh, the official ranking, then that's the only way into the Champions League, league phase automatically, right? So Yeah, if we drop out the top 10. And what about next season then? So it's looking pretty ominous uh, how far we're going to drop and how every Scandinavian and European Middle League country just seems to be excelling all of a sudden. I'd be worried for next season from now on, honestly, Gavin. I think if you're a Scottish yeah. football fan, start to ring the alarm bell. Scotland and Serbia in particular, and I know I'm pointing these two countries out in particular, but the numbers point, the numbers just glare at them dropping well outside the top 15 to start with i see poland's you know in 18th i think standard about you know two points back of scotland's going to next season and i can see poland if they can get at least two teams in the league phase even three they will challenge scotland right so i pull up something for you this i um again people who know the coefficients um will notice the swiss football data as uh yes um, he has um, yeah, and as well, and I've, I've been on his um, site multiple times, I've been interviewed, and actually when the, when the new format came out, I actually pointed out Scotland and Serbia, I think those solutions will be exposed under this new format, given what is available, but I was looking at um, one of them, the links to which, um, to simple data, um, he has 
all the teams, how much points they've contributed to the country coefficient over the last five years. And if you look right. at Scotland's 32.25 points currently in the five-year coefficient ranking, between Rangers and Celtic alone, they've contributed 26.2 points, which yeah. adds up to about 81% between the two alone. Now, Aberdeen's have contributed about 8% of points, and then you know, Hibs and Hearts have 3% each. That's not good enough. If you look no. at any country in the top 10, and you see how many how many teams have contributed to 80% of the country's coefficient points, you don't see any of them with just two, with two teams. You see most of them with at least four, five, maybe even six teams. In England, seven, but, you know, with West Ham as well. You know, yeah. you just don't see that, right? So that is a huge concern if I'm a, if I'm a fan of Scottish football and again, also Serbia. That is going to determine, if for Scotland next season, they can forget about the top 10 unless they can get a you know, really good season now. Get, mm-hmm. get collect those points. They can forget about it. They're gonna have eight and a half points to defend next season, which is gonna be you know, the most of anyone in that uh, yeah. region from Czechia all the way down to you know, Greece, Ukraine, Croatia. So, to me, I think their hope is lost. At the, they're definitely not getting top ten. Top twelve is unlikely as well. So, really, it's a striving for top fifteen spots. Get the points now. Try to start next season. Get some more points at qualifiers. So, Aberdeen, whoever else joins them, your Hearts, Hibs. Mm-hmm. Lost County, whoever it is, get the points of qualifying. If you don't get to the league phase, get to the playoff round as minimum and go from there, right? So that's going to be crucial for for our school and for all these clubs and countries in that region, that whole 10th to 20th region for next season. Yeah, um, and I'm sad to say I agree with you there. That it's looking um, worrisome for Scottish fans. And yeah, that is our problem. If 50% of the points come from Rangers, 30% come from Celtic, and only 20% from all the other teams combined over five years, it is, it's really difficult. Not many, if any, countries have only two teams contributing. So if you take last season, for example, Rangers had zero points and Celtic had two points. When the top, the top two do that, then it just, the, the coefficient starts to tumble. So I think it's, it's achievable to get to the top 10 through the amount of qualifiers that the top two have to go through when you're a lower ranked league. But once you're there, I mean, it's great for Scotland that we have three teams guaranteed European football at the moment. And this season it's Aberdeen. So that, that's brilliant for them. But they've only picked up a point so far. They only had one draw in qualifying. If they only pick up another couple of points, then again, it just shows it's, it's not enough really. It's, it's difficult for them and it's the way our league is it at the, I say at the moment for my lifetime and longer. Um, mm. so since just before I was born, the mid eighties was the last time a non Rangers or Celtic team, uh, someone outside of them to won the, the league. So it's just the disparity in finances between them two and everyone else has just grown and grown since then. And then that translates into European football which makes it difficult, but we won't give up hope. So hopefully um, we, we do get Rangers out of their group and Celtic an outside chance if they did as well, then I think that's the absolute minimum when you've got only two teams really contribute and you need them both to reach the knockout stages. So we'll see how it goes, but I'm glad you agree with me that for this season, at least, it looks like we're going to hold on to that top 10 just by the skin of our teeth and then we'll worry about next season when it comes. Absolutely. And I would say is the last, um, to at least to this point, what we see in Scotland, and this also applies to Serbia, with, again, Sivanazesta and Partizan being the only two clubs that are contributing to points, you know, that contribute to the coefficient, those are anomalies. Those are overall anomalies. If you look at the top 15 mm-hmm. nations, you know, right now, Czechia, they have three teams between Victoria Plezhenia, Sparta, as we mentioned, Slavia, you know, Ukraine have, um, obviously, Shakhtar Dynetsk and Dino Kiev, but also Joria Luhansk contributes in Dnipro over the last season. So, you see, Austria, with not just Red Bull Salzburg, you know, you have Ostrovin, Rapid Wien, you have Wolfsburg, you have several clubs who will contribute, right? 
what we see in Scotland and Serbia are anomalies where you don't get you get to top two doing so well it just it's just enough to see them top ten, top fifteen. But if you take the top two out right now, and it applies to both those countries, we're talking maybe thirtieth in the rankings. And then and, and, and again the numbers back it up. You, you yeah. see that six that other country, other clubs in Scotland contribute what six points. And that's if you look at the coefficient ranking, they're down in the bottom five. They're pretty much close to the bottom five right now. Same thing for Serbia. That just isn't sustainable, right? So it's an yeah. anomaly what Scotland and Serbia do. And if if there's ever a season where both Rangers and Celtic, or in the case of um, Scotland, Sudovenesis and Partizan, don't contribute, then believe me, it's going to be like last year for Scotland. You're going to see, what, three points it was, or even less than that? Three and, and a half, points, yeah. Three and a half points, right? You're going to see that. And if that becomes a regular thing, watch Scotland's coefficient ranking plummets, like we saw when plummet, Rangers. yeah. Had, um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, and the the stats do back it up. Actually, one of the articles I wrote for the Daily Record recently was looking at Scotland's coefficient, and if you took just one of the old firm out, not even if you took both Rangers and Celtic out. So if you took Rangers out, we've dropped to about thirtieth. Um, if you take Celtic out, we drop to twenty second or twenty third. Um, However, I will say that if you take part of that study I did was we took Aberdeen's points out and even without that, um, Scotland drop out of the top 10. So Rangers and Celtic points alone isn't enough to keep us in the top 10. We do need um, what Aberdeen are contributing, but it's just, it's not enough really if if Rangers and Celtic have an off season like last season, you really need someone else. And although Hearts last year, they did win two group stage games, ultimately they still went out. So it, it didn't they didn't put in real coefficient points that a deep run in the competition yeah. get so like i said we we won't give up hope and hopefully we do gather enough points to keep the top 10 this year and hopefully next season top 12 may become the new target but we won't give up hope so on that thought actually next season um uefa is introducing the new league format across all three tournaments where it's a 36 team league uh, for the champions league europa league and the conference league what sort of what's your view on it? What's the thoughts you have on it? Having seen it, um, this, at this I know we've not seen it actual in action, but the the theory behind it. Do you think it'd be a good thing? It's interesting. Uh, on the fence, um, I see uh, you know someone who follows so much football, who watches so much, I get exposed to so much, so I can you know look at it a bit differently from people who you know may only watch the Premier League or the Champions League or something like that, right? Um, it's funny, on Swiss Football Data, when Simon interviewed me last year, I we spoke on this as well, and he was asking my thoughts on, you know, this new format. I've spoken to a lot of people who are involved in these talks. You know, I, I do that regularly. And, um, it's interesting to get their perspective, but there are positives and there are some negatives, I'd say. I, I think the new format, it's interesting. I think it's, uh, I always tell people to give it a chance. You know, it's, it's something new. It obviously, it's never easy to adapt to change. And as someone who's like who also struggles to adapt to change, I can appreciate that problem. But believe me, I'd say give it a chance. I think um, from a coefficient standpoint, we'll, again, we'll see certain countries get exposed. To, because, for example, you know, now with the countries who are ranked 6th or 12th, like an extra team in Europe with qualifying, mm-hmm. all those leagues that don't have, you know, three strong teams – that's why I see them struggle. How can you get past two as a qualifying, even qualify just a conference league, right? So that will be interesting. Um, as for the new format itself, we'll see how qualifying goes. We, you know, I expect you know there'll be a lot of changes overall to the qualifying um, scheme regarding seating and whatnot. So that's going to be good news for some countries, others who don't have clubs like Scotland outside of League Two. That may be a problem. But you know, again, we'll see some changes. I say give it a chance. I say. Um, give it a year or two, look, see how this goes, and then 
judge rather than just go jump to the oh no it's mm-hmm. the news is terrible right so that's what i would say i like i think this is interesting i think i really do find it interesting the new league formats you know 20 36 teams 24 make it to the knockout rounds well it's the knockout round playoffs in the champions league now no more feeding to the lower competition after the playoff rounds past the playoff rounds so that's um that's great so i would say give it a chance yeah i'm i'm with you i i think it will be good but um can't be sure, obviously. I think one of the best things about it is the variety of teams. So where just now you're drawn in a group and you only have three teams that you play twice, you'll now be in a league where you play eight teams in the top two competitions, at least six in the bottom. But that's eight different opponents every year. So we should get a much bigger variety of fixtures across all of Europe in some games that we... Because part of the Super League was the, the complaint that the big teams didn't play each other that regularly. Well, now they'll 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 be, have the chance to play two fellow big teams every single season. So I think that variety of fixture is probably one of the the best changes. Yeah, and you know that's the thing. You know, you get to see more teams every season versus just three, right? Three or mm-hmm. four if you're lucky to get into knockout rounds. So um, and, and we'll see more clubs from more countries being involved. I think it's been on 37 now, um, versus 33 now. So that's a great thing. So we can see 37 up to I would say even 40 teams, 40 countries represented out of the 55 FIFA members every year. And that's a great that's a great thing, right? It's yeah. definitely a positive. Now there are still some drawbacks and you know again as someone who's re- reads a lot, we have to think about clubs from the lower ranked nations. Of course you um Scottish fans are familiar with seeing Celtic dominate the league for a decade, but that's a regular thing we've seen. We saw in, in Serie A with Juventus. We see it now in the Bundesliga with FC Bayern. We see the lower tiers where it's even worse in a country like Wales, where the New Saints have done that exact same thing. And the issue and the concern is that a club from one of those countries that might qualify for the Conference League, they might earn enough money just from that alone, even though it's not Champions League money. It feels like Champions League money, and that they will just con- that money will be enough for them to dominate their league for the next yeah. ten years, and that's a big concern. So that's one of the major drawbacks. But again, it depends on how UEFA will distribute the money, you know, to non-participating clubs, to clubs who lose in qualifying. Those that type of situations to avoid losing competitive balance in domestic leagues, because that's something we can. It's easy to forget so when we're thinking about what's going on in Champions League, what's a new format. But when you look at a bigger picture, there are, there are bigger issues than just that. You know, the new the the, the, the European performance lost those two um, top two spots in the seasonal coefficient ranking to get an automatic Champions League spot, a new European spot. That's another thing to pay attention to because now you'll see the top clubs and someone, a Dias Medishkiri, a Lega Vashra president, he came out shortly after um, this um, this this was a confirmed, and he said those spots were basically a gift to the big leagues, right? So that's a concern, right? So we'll have to look at and see how the coefficients will be calculated. I've been talking to people as well, so I have a, a little bit of insight to that as well, but that's something to also keep in mind. So we have multiple angles to take rather than just looking at the new format itself. You look at you know how it will affect domestic leagues, how it will affect teams playing two to four more matches a season, right? So that's I think is something to keep in mind. Yeah, and that's a really good point you raise about the European income helping the biggest clubs and the smallest leagues just continue the dominance. And that's something I've already alluded to. We don't have much competitiveness in Scotland. It's a two-horse race which has been won by one horse 11 out of the last 12 years or whatever it is. Celtic, again, if they win the league this year, then go in and get another 40 million or whatever. For every other club in the division, that just makes the the minutest of possibility of winning the title even further away. And then if it's Rangers that win the title, the same for them. Conversely, we have the two Champions League places as well. So although it doesn't happen regularly, we could have a situation where they're both in the Champions League. They're both getting another 30 or 40 million and pulling even further ahead. So 
it's bad enough in our league. So if you go lower down the chain and like you say in Wales and other leagues like that, where it is just one team that dominates and then they get gifted, or I say gifted, but you know, they win the league and they earn that five or six or seven million, whatever it would be for them. Um, then just builds an even bigger gap over the rest of the league. So yeah, I think I read that UEFA, they are increasing the the solidarity payments to the non-participating clubs, but it's still going to dwarf, uh, going to be dwarfed by the money that the clubs that are in it make because they're all going to earn more and it's going to be a, a more money so yeah it's a tough one and I don't know how how they'll get around it but to be frank I don't think they care so I don't think UEFA or the, t- the top level clubs care about competitiveness in lower leagues I think they just want as much money as possible for the biggest clubs for as long as possible which is why we have this new change um, but yeah as what it is we'll see how the tournament goes and I'm like you I think let's give it a chance and see and I'm, I'm hoping and thinking it will be a good thing yeah, but I look forward to seeing it happen. Of course, the good thing is there's no more preliminary round in the Champions League, so it's going to start from July. Eight weeks of nonstop football, which is fantastic for the neutral fan who loves seeing football from all over Europe, not just the top clubs. So we'll see more clubs starting earlier now because, you know, the Europa League expanding and qualifying. There are going to be, I think, 22 or 20 plus more clubs involved in qualifying there. So that's a plus. You have a couple of clubs in the Conference League as well. starts around later. One team will start you know, earlier in the Champions League as well, but we're from the fifth-ranked country, their fourth place will be in the Champions League qualifying. So those smaller things will also be things to keep in mind. So it'll be overall an interesting format, I think. I agree. So thanks very much, David. Thanks for coming on, giving me your time discussing the new Rangers manager, Philippe Coman, and where you see Scotland's chances in the coefficient battle for the top 10 or maybe even what will become the top 12 next season. And lastly, your views on on the new format next year. So uh, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me again, Gavin. You guys can follow me on Twitter at DP, Nina, N-I-N-A, the number 10. Um, I do all sorts of coefficients all across Europe, including Scotland. And of course, again, as I mentioned, that race is so important, so I cover it a lot. So yeah, you'll see, you can see my work there. And you know, yeah, I always love interacting with people like yourself, Gavin, and others out there who are interested. So yeah, my DMs are always open. Yeah, absolutely. I'll put the link to your page um, on the post when I release the podcast. And as I mentioned earlier, you're definitely worth a follow. You've got an extensive range of knowledge of pretty much every league in Europe, or if not around the world. And it's great to see some of the stuff you put out. So yeah, it was a pleasure having you on. Thanks very much, David. Thank you so much, Gavin. Thanks for listening to Scotland's Coefficient Podcast, the podcast about Scotland's football teams in European competition. Join us next time for more detailed analysis and all things Scotland's coefficients.